Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Aquí estamos. Aquí estamos. Yeah, hey, y'all had asked about it <clears throat> before the prayer, but the visit with Sister Alicia down in Atlanta was awesome. Mm. And we got to be with her when the Eucharistic Preachers website launched, or at least she got to see it for the first time live, which is really cool because I know she put a lot of work into that. It's awesome. So I said, all these guys look great except for that stupid redhead. Who is that? <laughs> Who is that? Is that the guy Powder the from that movie? <laughs> I think it's the comedian Carrot Top. <laughs> That's what I said. But the website looked great for the Eucharistic preachers. Mm-hmm. That looked awesome, man. So um, what is that in... Well, if you got anything else to share about that awesome visit, but you're a Eucharistic preacher, Bisque. What does that mean? Um, I should have an elevator pitch for that because I don't, I don't really know how to explain it quickly. Uh, and it remains to be seen exactly what what we're going to be doing. But we committed to, to three to five missions a year for the next year or two as we do these there's stages of the Eucharistic Revival that US, the UCCB basically um, is trying to respond in a prayerful and a evangelistic way to the Pew study form, not so much in like a business or strategy way, but like really, okay, what's the Holy Spirit asking us to do about the fact that so many Catholics don't believe in the Eucharist or don't practice uh, Eucharistic devotion, even attending mass on Sunday. And um, Bishop Cousins and Bishop Lombardo and others uh, were on this committee. And that's how Sister Alicia got involved, as far as I understand. and this guy, Father Jorge Torres, who is, I can't remember what diocese he's from, but now he works full-time for the USCCB and others. Uh, came up with the idea he's of like Miami, a, isn't he? Could be. Came up with the idea of a, a band of preachers, uh, priest preachers, to kind of pray together. Barnstorming uh, tour, dude. Yeah, and then go out to the, the four corners of the, the country and sort of light these little fires leading up to, in 2024, a National Eucharistic Congress, which is the first we've done since the 70s, I think. They used to do them every oh. five years. Um, you know, like the famous one here in Chicago at the seminary when they first opened the seminary mm-hmm. in Mundelein. Um, they had a, a mass at Soldier Field that was like full 100,000 people or something like that. So their yeah. goal is to have, I think, 75 to 100,000 people in uh, crap, Indianapolis. Indianapolis, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah in 2020 july 2024 so that's the kind of like the the culmination not the end of the revival hopefully just that's the beginning of like the revival of eucharistic faith and and love in the the u.s church but um these diocesan events that's that's what we would basically do is like priest convocations and diocesan leader retreats and conferences and things like that and um and then yeah, that, that was you come really... to Maryville. Can I book you right now? <laughs> no, you have to go through the portal. We were oh. we were admonished about that. You cannot 
personally pick one, the one you like. Although you can request, what? like, that's why we're up on the website with our headshots and they're going to put little video interviews. So uh, dioceses can pick who they want. But hmm. to, to be honest with you, dude, it, it's kind of intimidating because, um, I mean, you think of the, the kind of national preachers as guys like Bishop Barron and Father Mike Schmitz and um, these dudes with like kind of a reputation for giving keynotes at Seek and, and non-priests like Sister Miriam James or Sister Bethany Madonna, like the people that draw crowds if you were to bring them to a diocesan event and like then there's seabisk he's coming to town everybody come out <laughs> it's like it's very kind of humbling uh that uh here this is this faith is being put in you uh by the church and i get the impression that it's it's not so much hopefully my prayer is that, that it's not so much the the priest or the speaker himself but rather like what what we all did on retreat together in April, we all, there was every one of us, except for a few that couldn't make it, were at uh, Our Lady of the Angels and on the West Side and stayed in their retreat center. We prayed two holy hours a day every day and heard talks from cousins, from Lombardo, from uh, Archbishop Sarton and Schmitz came out and gave a talk. And it was just like this coterie of, I can't remember how many priests, 50, uh, praying together, eating together, uh, they did the food pantry on Tuesday. We all, we all help with that and just kind of like talk to the, the, um, neighbors and stuff. And, and so it was, it was kind of like Mark six, you know, Jesus called those whom he wanted to be with him so that he could send them out to preach. That's what I kept as we were praying around this monstrance, which was the big centennial monstrance of, um, Cardinal Wendelein, that huge, massive honking one. Have you seen it? Oh yeah. Um, it's the hundred years of Mundelein Seminary, so they've been touring this this monstrance from the Eucharistic Congress in in 1924. I want to say no, maybe it was it 1922, I guess. Um. Anyways, that's how I felt. It was like, okay, this is because of the resurrection. Uh, this is really real. Jesus is still calling those whom he wants to himself, and it's a ragtag group. It's not like he's calling the celebrities that already exist. You know, like he's he's calling randos who he intends to endow with grace to go out and preach and so that that was pretty cool and gives me a lot of hope uh, i don't have anything on the calendar yet a few have been suggested but other guys have taken them um but yeah who knows where where you get sent and if people will receive you or if you shake the dust off your sandals or um but it's pretty cool it's tremendous, cool. man. Yeah. What well, one thing that I really liked about the whole idea of the Eucharistic revival is that it's not. Um, it seems like it's realistic. They have like a an awesome timeline and a cool way forward. That is not just all right. We're gonna resurrect. We're gonna resuscitate the National Eucharistic Congress in a year. So let's just start working towards this big event. Right. They had like a three year plan. That if if sister if I understood the way that sister explained it was it starts at the diocesan level, and the diocese promotes the Eucharistic revival, promotes the Eucharistic Congress, and then they have the freedom to kind of do their own things around devotion to the Eucharist, and then it goes to the parish level, and then parishes can have the Eucharistic preachers out, and each parish can express the Eucharistic devotion and Eucharistic revival. 
in their kind of own way. And then it goes to the national level, which is a, a right. three year plan, which seems very realistic and also like well thought out and like the, the right way to go about that stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm super excited for it, man. It's going to be great. Yeah. And on top of that, because I've seen plans like that, um, you know, we had we had something that we participated in our parish called the Encuentro, the fourth Encuentro or something like that. These uh, with uh, Hispanic yep. ministry in the United States. Um, and it was kind of similar thing <clears throat> like, oh, let's we're looking for like a, you know, a national movement of of. Um, yeah, a revitalization of of Hispanic Catholicism in the United States or something like that. And we're going to start at the parish level and then the diocese level and then the national level. And um, I never saw any fruit from it. Like we did meetings and stuff at our parish, um, but it, it just kind of felt a little bit like a bureaucratic thing, like people in a strategy meeting um, decided what would be good for for people on the south side of Chicago. And they've, you know, they've never been there. So those sort of things like a lot of times in theory, OK, here's this big problem. What are we going to do? Well, here's a solution. And then you got to get you've got money and you've got people who have jobs whose job it is to think of solutions. And um, this what's cool about this is like, you know, Father Jorge, Sister Alicia, Bishop Cousins, they all, they all have other stuff to do. Um, and they came to this conclusion and then they, to invite us. And we all, we've all prayed about whether or not we feel God's calling us to do this. And then the, the way we started with the retreat, um, during, it was the week before Holy week and just like 50 diocesan priests get together for three days and pray like this. It just felt much more like, yes, it's well thought out. It's realistic, but also prayerful and, mm -hmm the way that Eucharistic faith will be revitalized is not through us being really smart or eloquent, but by putting our own oxygen masks on first, you know, if we are not the priests, not praying holy hours in front of the blessed sacrament and devoted to our celebration of the mass and Eucharistic reverence and also care of the poor, which is, I mean, it's just so felt so authentic, you know, sometimes when you, when you read these, strategy things. It's just like, yeah, good idea. But I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't adequate to reality, but this is, this is nice because it's, it's kind of responsive to reality. Like what does Jesus actually want here? Um, let's ask him, let's all get together and just sit and listen. That's pretty cool. That sounds great. Are you going to use props for your yeah. Well, I mean, you said I look like Carrot Top. <laughs> <laughs> Was that on the air? I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. So I'm, I'm going to be a prop preacher like Carrot Top. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I think that's great. And even here, like in a small parish, because I just been, you know, since sister's been involved since the beginning. And so it's like, um, just kind of praying intentionally for it. And on the, the Friday morning mass that I have at the parish, I actually, this was probably like three or four months ago, but just e every Friday offer mass for Eucharistic revival, like in our own hearts and in our land. Hmm. And it's been really cool. That's awesome. So just the fact that there's like, yeah, it seems, um, this is one of the things I've been like praying with and we've been talking about more and more, especially with 
the Newman Center stuff, but um, of like how do we how do we like focus on like what is authentic and organic and allow those things to grow versus the other mentality like that you were talking about of like let's have smart people but like let's sit around and plan good ideas and then like try to get people to come to them Mm -hmm. and um it's a it's a very life-giving shift um oh yeah just in general and so um because it allows you the freedom to say hey we can just like we can go where there's life and there's a humility to it too because you um you have to be able to just like leave your nets, like let go of some of the things that you've worked on or think are, are good ideas. Um, but then once you start doing it, like humility is freedom. It's so, it's so much better than it's like, I think of in the Simpsons, there's a scene where Homer, uh, gets his arm stuck in a vending machine and the, like the paramedics and the cops and the firefighters all come out and they're trying to get him out of this vending machine. <laughs> One of the guy goes, wait a minute, Homer, are you still holding on to the can? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And he lets go and immediately his arm comes out. Um, and it, it's to show how stupid Homer is. But um, I think of that sometimes like with, with us, like we're so fixed on something that's causing all the, everything to kind of get stuck. And if we just let go and let God... <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? But for real. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, <laughs> just, to scrap it, this episode now. <laughs> it's just a disordered attachment to our own ideas uh, when it's clearly like, well, do you want to use your example maybe of um, the evening mass, Rob? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we're not for SAU at least this this coming year. Um, we're not going to do an evening mass like on, on campus. And we're just, we have some ideas that we're like going through with students. And I think we're going to do, try to do like a couple masses late morning on campus. Cause we can like get a room at the student center and hopefully meet a lot of freshmen that way. But then we're actually going to have like, just have Newman come to my parish for like the late morning mass or just encourage mass anywhere, you know? But at, and this really came from, we called it alignment, but like really just trying to pray like with students about that, like, Hey, what, what's Jesus doing? And like, where's the Holy spirit leading? And it was interesting of like the students that we talked to, it was just not like a life giving thing to have mass in, in the evening. Um, and at least, I mean, I, I know this was my mentality. I think it was others as well of like, Oh, if you do campus ministry, you have to have a like an evening mass. College for students them. love evening masses. Yeah. And it was like very consistent as you talk to the ones that were coming. They were like, yeah, I mean, they'll go to mass whenever, but we would prefer like a late morning mass because then we can actually have like a Sabbath and Sunday feels like a Sabbath. And um, it was like, okay, well, like, let's just do this and kind of see what life comes from it. Um, and it's, I don't know, there's like, there seems to be real, real excitement around it. I'm excited just because it feels like literally we committed to two things for next year. 
is that we're going to try to live the Sabbath in a biblical way. And everything that we do has to be done with excellence. Hmm. Like that's it. And just let life come from it. Hmm. I love that. Rather than a huge strategic plan, not to say anything against strategic plans, but um, that to me seems much more liberating, Um, especially if there's actual teeth in it, like we're going to follow through and actually deliver on our promises. But the evening mass thing to me seems like um, a good example because it's one of those things where it feels like you're surrendering by not doing something or saying like, just go to mass wherever, but then we're going to invest in our actual life together, like living the Sabbath and the Christian life in common. And because now we don't have the security blanket of being like, we're doing something. We have the Newman mass and that, so we do that. And yeah, it's the same eight kids that come every week, but what else are we going to do? It's just the culture, I guess. Um, but like the Holy spirit is still calling people and, um, and going where the fruit is. And we did a, a very similar thing here. Our evening mass on Sunday was getting literally eight, 10 people a week, even after the reopening. And uh, our 11 o'clock mass is getting like 80 to 100. And we're like, why are we, why are we doing this? It took us a while. It took us almost to the end of the semester. And we're just like, why don't we just ask the people at 7 p.m. if they'll come to 11 a.m.? And they all did. Um, and like, <laughs> it's a, we're doing them a favor. Like, get up just a little bit earlier you know, than noon on a Sunday and come to this really vibrant mass that we're investing a lot into the music. And obviously the chapel looks beautiful now. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's more encouraging for all of us. We don't have to split, but the thing is, and I, I'm almost hesitant to say this publicly, but, um, therefore there is, there are two priests here full time and one Sunday mass, you know, now during the week, we're very busy with spiritual direction and, and all this formation outreach, uh, spiritual direction, stuff like that. But um, on Sunday, which is like, it is the thing that is so much the indicator of like how many priests you need at a parish. Oh, they have eight weekend masses. Um, they have this many families or, or whatever. And um, and there are some parishes that like really do need that many priests because you need that many masses. The churches are full um, at every mass. So you, you have to multiply masses. But I go help on weekends at places and there's four or five weekend masses. And the one I help at is a quarter or fifth full. Yeah. Like, you, do, do you need this mass? You know? And so the tail wags the dog. It's like, we need, we have a pre shortage because we have a mass excess. Um, when I think if right, you, and those masses are, they're kind of depressing too. Yeah. For like, the people, for the priest. Consolidated all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's more complicated than that. And I don't want to be one of these 34th sure. floor wonks is doing that strategy like oh if we just did this then we'd fix everything every parish is different every mass is different um but at least here that's what it's it's taken me a little bit of courage and um courage in my convictions and like listening to the team and and hearing feedback to say like hey is this is this bearing fruit let's just cut it let's let go of the can and get our arm out of the vending machine because this is not bearing fruit it's it's uh if anything inhibiting life um, and then move to where there is life uh, coming. Yeah, it's a different way to view ministry and priesthood, and I, probably, I guess the role of, of the church. It's a different way to, to church. Um, <laughs> to church yeah, one another. To church one another as as adult as church, <laughs> churching as church. Uh, Father Paul Porter threw an oh. awesome event. Recently, I know I hated what it. What a drag! And I loved it. 
I, I hated it the more that I loved it, which was that was a sticky place for me to be in. Nobody cared sure. about me, but that was okay. Uh, and it was it, it was an idea that we had kind of been chewing on together that um, he, he has an idea of, that he took from Tolkien that talks about the tree of life, the tree of tales, and that any good story is discovering a leaf from the tree of tales and then unfolding it. And allowing the leaf to reveal something that you're actually discovering. And he was like swept up by this idea that is really like fleshed out in a lot of Tolkien's work. Um, and he wanted to introduce people into this idea of, of the tree of tales, which he thinks is like the master idea of, of Tolkien's, his whole writing project was um, kind of like what you guys are talking about from a writing perspective, like doing ministerially is I don't want to have attachments to my own agendas as I write, but mm -hmm. I want to actually discover things as I go, which means that, like I need to have the freedom to just follow where life unfolds, which is a totally different way to pursue ministry and to run a parish and all those different <clears throat> things. Um, but having the humility to like, let the Lord lead. Um, and then all these ideas started to come from it. Uh, and so the event that he threw, he tried to create a, a dinner that was like, he called it the dream, the green dragon. And he, he decorated his whole, like, uh, what do they call it? The parish hall and made it look like a bar from like the Hobbiton or something like mm. that. And had this crazy feast, huge feast and had art all around and tried to make it as like magical an evening as possible had a guest speaker come in um, who was just like, <laughs> nobody knew this, but he's actually just like a regular dude that loves Tolkien <laughs> and has read it obsessively. And he, he teaches at, at a school up in Greenville, a, a Catholic school. And then they just had, they had dinner together, had appetizers, they had like some beers and drinks and everybody um, got to submit some questions and they did like a Q and a dialogue. And it was an unbelievably cool event, but even the way that that idea came about was like just letting something else unfold that like the way that we talked about the event was not let's strategize to how we can get the most people there, but like, let's pray and let whatever God's doing here kind of <laughs> reveal itself. Um, which I think is like, We've talked about it for writers. I know Twain said that he wrote like that. He let his characters lead the story. Um, and I think that there's a similar way that you can do it with priesthood, with, mm -hmm. with discipleship, which is like, let, yeah, let go and let God. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? It's the same, like, it's the same, like, lifeblood of, I mean, even the, like this IPF stuff that's been very life-giving for, for me, this, this program of spiritual director training, um, which is all like centering on really your own interior <clears throat> life. But I mean, that sounds like an amazing thing or even back to your point, Bisque about like two priests, but one, one mass. And I mean, I went through in, in like talking about not doing an evening mass on Sundays I mean, I went through this whole internal process of like, just, yeah, I guess like angsty or whatever you call it of like, oh gosh, even though I'm by myself that 
I, I won't have four masses mm-hmm. for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And it just came from like, I think mm-hmm. when I was a deacon, this veteran priest who I respect, he was like, yeah, hey, just through the through the years I've learned like, guys, you can survive four masses, but if you do five masses a weekend for too long, it's just going to burn you out. And I was like, for some reason that internalized of like, okay, if you're a real man, you I do can four. always do four. If yeah. I'm a real priest, like I can do four. And you just think about like the basics of the spiritual life and, and a discernment of spirits is like, whose voice is that? Right. Because it's not God's for sure. Mm-hmm. Again, and there's situations I like, I don't mind um, saying mass ever. But the whole question of like, where is life is a really important one. Yeah. Yeah, Bisk, I know, I know you got to go, but maybe we can finish with this line. The The speaker at this event, which I, I drug Sister Alicia to uh, oh, nice. when she was here visiting, which was did she enjoy super it? fun. I, she did enjoy it. Awesome. And, and we showed up a little bit late for the Q&A uh, just because the, the timing of her flight, but um, we still got to feast with everybody and see all this stuff. But, uh, the speaker, he had a line, he, he quoted Tolkien and said, um, uh, the, like the story didn't open up until this is Tolkien speaking, like the story in the world of Lord of the Rings didn't really reveal itself or open up until the first time he met the first Nazgul as he was writing. Like he, he, he talked about actually meeting one of his own characters hmm. and that's when the world and the story was like, what is this? Thing? Which are the Nazgul? They're the dragon creatures that the ring wraiths ride. Oh, which Aren't they horses? is such a nerdy sentence, but I the Nazgul, they, drove, they rode ho- horses. The ring wraiths. Aren't they the ghosty kind of dark people that are chasing them? Um, I read the books. I thought I'd know what you were talking about. Did the, the Nazgul... Nazgul am, am I right on that, Rob? Aren't they the dragon creatures that the ring wraiths? I think so. Like, they're the horses that fly, right? Horses that fly. Horses. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. I pictured them as horses, <laughs> not dragons. In the other Nazgul. parts, at least in the movies, they ride horses. They do as well. They, it's yeah. both. It's both hands. Mm. Yeah, they have they have extremely wicked creatures that uh, that they also ride. But they do ride black horses too. Yeah, we're getting caught in the weeds, guys. We got to let go of the vending machine coke. <laughs> okay, like, I, I just I can't lie. I think I do think the main message of this episode is let go and let God. Yep, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Let's let go. <laughs> it's time to let go. Just pursue, Please let go. Let life unfold. All right, Jindobris. See ya. Take it easy. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
Good girl.